My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a farmhand. My name is Bree Castellini. I used to be an all-American college student. But now we're... spies? Assassins? I don't know. I don't know. And this isn't Burn Noticed. <laughs> Instead, this is a one-off rewatch of the USA television, we don't know what it is yet, Treadstone, which serves as both a prequel and sequel to the Born Identity series of films. That's right, this is Born Noticed. Hell yeah. So we had a fairly crazy opportunity where we got to watch the first four episodes of Treadstone, USA's new possible spy masterpiece. And uh, this is our special bonus episode between Burn Noticed seasons. So uh, I'm going to read to you the blurb that they sent us, and then we will get started talking about it. So from a producer of the Bourne franchise, so not the producer, just a producer from the Bourne franchise. Good to know. Treadstone is a lower. Act- this is the lower producer. <laughs> a minor producer. So from a producer of the Bourne franchise, Treadstone is an action-packed thriller set amidst the CIA black ops program Operation Treadstone. Treadstone explores the origin story and present-day actions of the infamous covert program that uses behavior modification protocol to turn recruits into nearly superhuman assassins. The first season of Treadstone follows sleeper agents across the globe as they're mysteriously awakened to resume their deadly missions. Chris, have you seen anything else in the Bourne universe? I've seen all three of the proper Matt Damon Born movies. I have not seen the Jeremy Renner non-born born movie. I I watched it with like a high school boyfriend, but we were high schoolers, so watching it mostly consisted of making out on his couch and then breaking apart anytime we heard someone else move in the house, you know, <laughs> so that nobody would catch us kissing. Um so I didn't absorb any of it. Is the treadstone thing is that like is that a thing in the Born universe? Is this brand new? Is this yes. like a new canon? What's happening? Like, it's canon in the movies. Treadstone is the program. Like, basically, what we're seeing in this show also happened to Matt Damon's character. Oh, uh, so Matt Damon is one of the Treadstone people. So theoretically, while all of this season of television is going on, Matt Damon is running around doing something related at the same time? Uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, the show treats everything that happened with Matt Damon in the past. It's kind of like watching uh, any Marvel television show that like references the Battle of New York. Every once God. in a while, like people in this show will talk about how things went bad in the past. And like, and that was I was there for Blackbriar, and that's the Matt Damon movies. Okay, I was just going to say, because I heard somebody mention Blackbriar, and I was like, did I did I miss something earlier on? Okay, so this is good, because think, we're, we're coming into this with, like, equal knowledge pools. I'm coming into this totally fresh, just like, you know, a babe being born into the born identity universe, and you actually know what's happening. So, good balance. Blackbriar, if I remember correctly, was, like, a sub-program of Treadstone. Got it. And... And something so, like that. So cause... he was like a big special boy a couple of years ago. And then like a mm-hmm. couple of years later, just everything broke bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, as we're seeing, the way that the show is positing it, because I think at the end of the movies, it seems like Treadstone has been taken down. Got and it. so 
Now we're learning there's more to this story than meets the eye, if you know what I mean. And yes, there's Transformers in this. That's a spoiler. I shouldn't be saying that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah we, episode... we, we were instructed to not to, to be mindful of spoilers. Um... But as long as I've said it, there are Transformers in episode four. <laughs> yeah. So now there have to be. Do you hear us? NBC Universal put Transformers in Treadstone. Hashtag put Transformers in Treadstone. Do they own it? I, they might. I don't know. They can They can work out a deal. If Disney and Sony can work out Spider-Man, they can put Transformers <laughs> in Treadstone. Because the episodes that we saw were not all finished. That's true. Yeah, that was really... I, that, I actually really enjoyed that. Like, seeing, like, the pre, you know, final special effects versions of all these episodes. Because it's, it's kind of, you know, and seeing, like, you sent me a picture of the Getty images over a couple of, like, stock shots of, like, Langley and stuff, which was really fun. Yeah, it's just, it was sort of charming to be like, oh, big multi-billion dollar filmmakers. They're just like us. Something else we should have yeah. probably mentioned earlier is that Treadstone will premiere October 15th at 10 p.m. on USA. So that's tomorrow night, on 10 p.m. on USA. Oh, on Chris's birthday. It's so you can see why they let us have these first four episodes. Us, the co-hosts <laughs> of Burn Noticed. I, it's actually very appropriate that we're doing this, I think. And I'm glad that we got the opportunity to do this. I mean, um, me too. This is, it's been, it's a very cool opportunity. I, I never thought I'd get to see the first four episodes of a USA television program before anyone else. How did you do this? How did this happen? Do you actually not know, or are you setting me up for a, a story time? I'm both. <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense, Chris. It has to be one or the other. Oh, something else we should probably mention is that this is the first time Chris and I are recording not in the same room. So that's, Oh, yeah, no, we are in different rooms now. That's crushingly sad to me. Chris is now in Los Angeles. So, hey, Treadstone people, put him in the background of an episode. And I am still stuck in terrible New York. Um, but, uh, yeah. I'm so the, just glad that Bree can't <laughs> touch me anymore. I hate that. It honestly is the worst part of this whole setup is that I can't touch him. This is why I moved to LA. <laughs> so let's talk about the show. Oh, yeah. Okay. So how, how I got the opportunity. So I'm a member of the hoo-ha-ha community, which is like a women in comedy community, essentially like a networking portal for women in comedy. And there's like a whole section called opportunities where you can like submit to things or, you know, post that you need crew for a project. And sometimes like legit people post on there. Like sometimes hoo-ha-ha has a, a thing that they want you to submit to and so I happened to be on there one day and saw that a USA new USA like spy thriller <laughs> was looking for people to um, you know do something like promote their new show uh, in exchange for early access and I was like uh, I have a burn notice podcast about spies uh, I would love to have early access and they were like oh that's really interesting we'll be in touch and then I followed up a couple of weeks later and they were like yeah the the publicist and like the network was really interested in the fact that you have a podcast about burn notice um, and you have been selected to get early access to this show which is so funny because <laughs> like I never thought the fact that I had a burn notice podcast would get me fucking anywhere did at any point anyone ask you for listener numbers nope not at all like, let me let me find that's the email. a flaw on their part, <laughs> right? Like, I'm 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 just any old asshole. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could have made it up. We definitely we could have recorded two episodes of a podcast 
like in a day and been like, yeah, we have a podcast. To be fair, though, that's all it takes to have a podcast. (laughs) It's to say you have a podcast. Exactly. If you say you have a podcast, you're 90% of the way to having a podcast. If a tree... If a tree has a podcast in the woods and no one listens to it, is it a podcast? I'd argue that it is. I would also argue that. So the email that I got, because I, so I got the email like, thanks for, thanks very much for your interest in receiving an advanced screener for USA's Treadstone. Very exciting that you're open to discussing the show on your podcast. They capitalized the word podcast. Uh, We're reviewing all requests and we'll keep you updated. So I followed up like a month later and they were like oh hey thanks for following up we actually have a call with usa uh today to talk about next steps i know they were very excited about your podcast opportunity so we'll be sure to let them know about your timing because i let them know that like our first season of our podcast was ending and we wanted to do some bonus episodes uh hello welcome to a bonus episode and they were like oh okay i'll let usa know (laughs) and then (laughs) And then they accepted us, which is so crazy to me. I'm so curious to see who else is talking there's about people, Treadstone. There's people at the USA Network who have said burn noticed. <laughs> Truly the biggest success of our lives. Never would I have imagined it. Suck it, Reddit. All right, but let's talk about the show, Treadstone. Uh, what was uh, I your think we've done enough. Reaction? <laughs> What was your immediate reaction of the show? <laughs> um, my immediate reaction was that I actually really liked it. I like that we will definitely get into critiques for sure. We are burn noticed after all. Uh, we are we, very mean. <laughs> we are very mean people. They should not have given us this opportunity. But like, listen, I'm a sucker for like action adventure shows. I'm a sucker for like hidden identities and like being on the run from stuff. Like I I like that. I would probably like the original Born trilogy. I just have never watched it for some reason. I'm not really a movie person. So, yeah, my first response was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Um I I like that there are multiple storylines so that like even if one of the sleeper agents you're not really feeling there's usually like within five minutes uh, we've moved on to a different like storyline, which I like, like it keeps it moving and it keeps it exciting to not just focus on like one boring, bland white dude of which we have plenty of those. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. we, we get some other there's perspectives. Another boring, bland white dude hanging in the wings. Waiting for you. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, you but like, like me, I have a goatee. <laughs> um, there, there are three bland white dudes in this show, but you know what? What are we going to do? Pretend that this isn't what we're doing. Uh, no, yeah I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was action-packed. Uh, certainly better editing in the pilot than the Burn Notice pilot. Like, oh. boy, howdy, have television shows come a long way in covering action sequences. Oh, oh, definitely. And, like, and we'll get to that more in a little bit. But, yeah. And I think if you'd seen the Bourne movies, like, the action of those is a pilot. And this definitely feels aesthetically like the Bourne movies. What like, what what, what does that mean to you? For someone who explain it to I someone mean, who's never seen the Bourne movies. Like the hallmarks of the Bourne movies are both that kind of verite Paul Greengrass shaky cam and very visceral fight scenes. Which this show has both of in immense quantities. Um, sure. like it has that handheld thing that it's doing, which I've never had a problem with. I know some people have a problem with it. Like it gives them motion sickness or something. 
Yeah, uh, I think, and there there was definitely a time when it was overused post Born, because Born really did change action movies to the point where, like, when they soft rebooted James Bond, they made a movie that's basically a Born movie. <laughs> Although I will say, there's one thing that this show did not have enough of that was in the movies, and that is parkour. <laughs> there was a little parkour in the pilot, yeah. but not enough. There should have been more parkour. <laughs> there should have been more parkour. All right, that's noted. So the one thing that I noticed about the fight scenes, like, immediately, is that, like, and and granted, uh, like Chris mentioned, you know, we were not seeing, like, the final versions of any of these. I think the pilot was finalized for the most part, but the, the second, third, and fourth episodes still had, like, green screens and stuff. Like, there's a character that's missing a pinky, and it's just a, a person with their pinky wrapped in, like, a green um, cloth, which was actually really fun to watch. I was like, oh, man, I'm seeing this before all the magic happens. Um, but, yeah. but even with all of that in mind, something that really stuck out to me about the fight scenes in this show, of which there are many, it is a spy action adventure, is that the, like, punch sound effects are really, like overdone like there's they're definitely too loud but they also are like almost cartoonish they are when people do fight fully in movies and tv it's always heightened because the actual sound of people getting punched is not nearly as satisfying as what we are like used to in media which is something i actually ran into when i was editing fight scenes uh, and like kill sections from brains the zombie web series that chris and i worked on a couple of years ago uh, i edited that series and anytime somebody punched someone else i like i would record myself punching but then when I put it into the show it was like this sounds pathetic this doesn't sound like anything and so I had to go and like find meteor punch sound effects so I know that that's a thing that media does I know that no one who gets punched on screen is accompanied by a sound of actually getting punched but like something is really wrong with the, with the born noticed uh you know punch sound effects like it's it was a lot just to clarify for our listeners the show is not actually called born notice uh i don't think that's right <laughs> that doesn't that's not familiar to me but yeah like the 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 punch sounds were just so like thick and meaty and i mean it's possible that they will tone them down some but like some of that is on purpose Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and and so like I, I I know that probably some of it will get toned down, but like it was very noticeable. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like this show uses fight scenes the way that musicals use musical numbers. You're guaranteed like three fight scenes an episode, basically, sure. and they're all very visceral. They're all very well choreographed. Um, I think it's well shot. It is very busily shot. A lot of cutting. But I think they were all still really easy to follow. Yeah, I, I thought every time, like, I, I was really paying attention to the editing because we're so critical of the editing on Burn Notice. And I was, like, really paying attention to that because I knew that, you know, we were reviewing this in our Burn Notice podcast. And, like, it, I, it was a lot of cutting, but I never felt like they were showing me the same thing from five different angles. Like every time there was a cut, the story was moved forward somehow, either because the fight scene was like continuing in a new way. They were moving to a different part of the room or whatever. Um, but like, it, it always felt like there was story progress in a cut. It wasn't just a cut to show something else cool. Yeah. Which I think is actually important because again, like the movies and I think a lot of the movies that were kind of ripping off this style really would 
cut together fight scenes that felt really disorienting, but in a bad way where it was just kind of hard to follow. And it wasn't, you weren't appreciating the fight. Like even like a lot of the fights in the dark Knight are kind of that way. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, it's, I, I imagine it's really hard like to choreograph something that's like exciting and dangerous looking, but also doesn't put anyone in like actual danger. And I, I have a feeling that that's accomplished largely through like confusing cutting so that it's happening so fast that you don't really realize what's happening. And you just sort of assume someone's getting their ass kicked. But I. Well, yeah. That and that's the lazy way to. Do. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I think that's the lazy way to do it. Whereas this show, the fights are still very well choreographed. Yeah. The fights are good in this scene. Like the like one of the, the first scene in the pilot basically is like, well, I guess not the first scene, but like there's like a little bit of talking and like brainwashy stuff and then it gets into like a pretty long extended fight scene sequence that takes place in multiple locations um as like a dude escapes from a mind fucking facility uh that was a very cool Mm -hmm. fight scene and it was very tense and there was like there was a good like pacing to it it wasn't all heightened like there were moments of like pause where he had to like figure something out and hide and like come up with a clever way of getting around things yeah very layered fight scenes so other than the punch sound effects, I broadly have no uh, complaints about this. Yeah, I really like the opening, which people have seen, I think, because that has aired before this came out. They did like a special screening of it, like a preview on USA. So people might have already seen the pilot. And it opens because the show takes place mostly in present day, but also some of it takes place in the 70s and the openings in the 70s. Um, and which I did. I appreciate the period atmosphere of that. And that whole sequence is really good. And it does have the best parkour. Because <laughs> at one point, there's like a guy running on a roof and it's very good. So should we um, explain like the, the different storylines? Because we, we haven't really... So we're trying to avoid doing our usual like episode you know beat by beat breakdown just because we want to avoid spoilers and because this is a new show and you should go watch it when it comes out. October 15th, tomorrow. On my birthday. <laughs> yes, on Chris's birthday. Celebrate Chris Cherry's birthday by watching the the premiere of Treadstone. Um, but yeah, maybe we should break down the the this, the various sleeper agent plots. Yeah, there's yeah. So we have. We should ex- um, you, you should introduce them in the order that you care about them because Chris texted me a great list of plots in order of how much I care about them, and I think that that is the yeah. best way to explain what's happening in this show. All right, let me find that text. Um, yeah, the way that I explained it to. Brie, in order of how I care about them, there is North Korean sad mom, 70s boy, the first Avenger, uh, boy Alaska doesn't deserve his hot wife, Michelle Forbes, lady boss, (laughs) the world's most perfect journalist's escort mission, and the adventures of Beardy McFuckface. (laughs) It's a really good list. It's it's texts it like this that make me like actually miss Chris and not ironically miss him. Oh boy. But yeah. <laughs> and I do I really like the Korean storyline. I think part of the reason that I like the Korean storyline and the 70s storyline the best because both of them kind of feel like a different world. Mm-hmm. Like because it's the 70s so it's a period piece so you get to have all this like period clothing and like costumes and all this kind of cool stuff um and then in the korean plotline it's in north korea and we very rarely see things set in north korea so it's nice to have this different thing so there gets to be world building in those plots whereas in the other plots there's less like 
world building and it's more just about these characters and like a normal situation. Yeah, it feels not less a normal grounded. Situation. So it's like there's not as much to hold on to. It's just like, oh, a thing is happening to a person. But yeah, I, I, I agree with Chris's order. I think I also generally care about the plots in this order. So should we go one by one and kind of explain what the deal is? Yeah, sure. So yeah, uh, we have, like I said, North Korean sad mom. Um, she is a mom. Who is sad. Uh, and she's she is sad. Um, but also, unbeknownst to her, She's an assassin. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, most of the characters, or like half of the characters in this show, are um, assassins slash spies. Uh, they call them cicadas in the show. Yeah, they're the, the cicadas are the sleeper agents. So it's like the show yeah. is half about the sleeper agents who have been like unexpectedly awakened. And the other half of the plots are about like various government agents and also the world's most perfect journalist figuring out who's waking up the cicadas and what they can do about it. Exactly. And yeah, I think the most interesting cicada is the North Korean one. Um, just, I think the, the actress is really good. Um, it's nice to see like a born that isn't a boring white dude. <laughs> because in this series up to this point, Every one of these sleeper agents has been Matt Damon or a Matt Damon like. <laughs> Everyone, like every white guy in this show, looks like he could be one of the Hollywood Chris's. Yeah, but like the uh, less popular kinds. Exactly, it's like the B list Hollywood Chris's. <laughs> That's exactly like, how I would describe them. It's like at the. Like, at the puppy mill where they got the Hollywood Chris's, these are the other puppies. <laughs> All right. So North Korean sad mom's story is that she is a sad mom from North Korea. I guess she's like a part-time piano teacher. Because we're introduced to her and in a scene where she's like filling in for someone else and is bad at it, according to the rich mom that she's working for. But outside of that, I don't really know what she does. Well, she might... Just be like a stay-at-home like a, mom, otherwise, and like a substitute piano teacher. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I think she's like a. She might teach piano occasionally, but she doesn't need to do it to survive. Sure, because I, I we get yeah. the sense that her husband were, is like kind of high up in the North yeah. Korean government or like a government associated company in like missile testing. Yeah, so he's like a sort of scientist administrative person, but is in like a government facility. Yeah, exactly. And so, and he has ambition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a lot of this plot is very standard kind of authoritarian society, secret police type stuff. It's not new, but it's new for this universe and it's nice to see. Yeah, and I think it's really well done and it's it's very like nuanced. Honestly, so I just finished watching the fourth episode like right before we started recording and this isn't a spoiler, but one of the things that I like the most about the North Korean sad mom plot line is that like her husband genuinely like loves and cares for her. And I know that, that sounds kind of bizarre to say, but like whenever we see, you know, apocalyptic regimes, authoritarian regimes like depicted in media and like the woman is the central character, usually her husband, if she has one or like boyfriend or father is also sort of like a stand in for the authoritarian dictator of the company overall. But like they don't go that direction in this show. Like her husband is just her husband. And like, yeah, he works for the government and yeah, he's nervous when she talks 
talks about like trying to go south and get out of North Korea, but it's not done in a way that makes it feel like he would like hurt her if she said it again. Like I never feel worried about her in her relationship. And that's really rare for women who are like mothers and wives in authoritarian regimes and media. And I thought that was really refreshing. I thought that they were going to go that way. And so now, did I. Like, but yeah, I feel less certain, but I still don't know. He sees her come in all beat up from a, a sleeper agent mission. He's like, what's happening? Like, please tell me what's happening. But it wasn't like threatening. It was like, you're my wife. I love you. What's happening? Like, I want to make sure you're safe. This is true. Like, he does seem to genuinely love his wife. Um, and I'm just not used to that from s- men. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but yeah, and that's the gist of that plot. Um, the next plot that I have on my list is, again, 70s Boy, the first Avenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's which his is name? About, uh, I don't know his name. I his forgot. His name is 70s like Boy. John. Who cares? We'll, we'll call him I think his Roger. name is John. <laughs> of course it is. I think, yeah. I think, I think he has three first names. That would make sense. His plot is that he was captured by some Russians who were originating this technology. It, like, his plot is the origins of this whole... Treadstone operation. Treadstone. Exactly. Where originally it was a thing that the Russians were doing. Uh, and he got uh, kidnapped and brainwashed. And then he escapes. That's what we see at the beginning of the show is him escaping. And then, like, his plot goes on to, like, his dealing with the CIA once he's gotten back. And I don't want to go into too much about it because I don't want to spoil things. But yeah, I think this plot line is mostly about the making oh. of this whole government agency in Treadstone and how it's tied to like the big threat of the show, which is this nuclear bomb that's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nuclear bomb called Stiletto? Stiletto 6? Yes. Is that what it's called? It's called Stiletto that's, 6. Yeah, and that's from the pilot. So that's that's fair game to show off. Yeah, that's fine. So, like, again, I like seeing that. I like, I call it the first Avenger because it does feel a lot like the first Captain America movie to me, almost. Just, Mm -hmm. it's like a period piece origin story type thing and kind of filling in the gaps of the way that Captain America fills in the gaps of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that. Sure. Um, Yeah, and I I, I don't think this is a spoiler to say that I'm pretty sure that 70s Boys plotline is going to, like, culminate in the Americans developing their own Treadstone program which is why we're in the mess that we're in in the present day plot lines yeah exactly started with the uh, russians now we here exactly <laughs> and yeah i just like the texture of it i think it's fun uh that generic white boy seems pretty good mm-hmm. <laughs> solely uh, because he's in the 70s and not in present day yeah although interestingly think- so you've been you've been throwing a lot of shade at our basic white boys in this show, but you have the second basic white boy as your third most interesting plot. I do. I have you to have also... to also understand uh-huh. that he doesn't deserve his hot wife. <laughs> All right. So the third plot that Chris cares about is that boy Alaska doesn't deserve his hot wife. I also think generally stories about the sleeper agents are more interesting than stories about people who aren't sleeper agents. Yes. Fair enough. Um, so, so I think all of my top plots are different sleeper agents. And yeah, and so he works on a rig in Alaska, but he gets fired. 
And he gets um, laid off because uh, Russian, like a Russian company, has either merged with their company or has like bought them out, and so now they're going to be staffing the rig with with Russians. So he gets laid off from his oil rig in a maybe or maybe not political move. Something bad happens, uh, which I we're still not really fully clear on by episode four. So there's not really a spoiler there. Like something bad happens. He wakes up after being like. Uh, woken up, you know, as a sleeper agent and doesn't really know what happens and then goes home to his hot wife that he doesn't deserve. Why don't you think he deserves his wife? Because he's boring. <laughs> but he's so hot, Chris. I think you're you're really undervaluing that that part of what he brings to the table. He's very generically hot. He's like yeah, the but other... That's still hot. You can be hot and generic. They're not mutually exclusive. That's fair. I'm just saying that, like, I think the other generic white boy is a little bit hotter. The guy from the 70s? 70s boy. 70s boy, the first Avenger. Yeah. And he's fine. Like, um, and he thought of the guy was probably a little bit of a better actor. Like, this guy is fine. This guy has been uh, in more things, too. I, I recognize him from something. They all look like that, though. No, I think, like, he has a bigger nose than normal, so that's why I'm into him. Yeah, that's that's why you zeroed in on him? Yeah, because that's my thing, is, is generic white boys with slightly bigger than average noses. Yeah. And anyway, his plot line is mostly just him getting sucked into intrigue. I will say that four episodes in, I don't want to talk about too many details because I don't want to spoil things. But also, a lot hasn't happened yet. Yeah, no, not it, it's mostly just like all of these people being very scared and confused and sometimes killing people. Um, hey, Chris, so generic Alaska white boy. Guess what his name mm-hmm. is, keeping in mind that he is the most generic looking man of all time. John Smith. Brian Smith. Brian Smith. So That's... like <laughs> you were halfway there knowing nothing but basic white dude. Brian Smith, he looks like a Brian. I don't know. He's a little more buff than your standard Brian. I know. I'm I'm actually a little surprised. So he was from He was oh, he was a he was a major character in Sense 8. That's where I've seen him. I haven't actually seen Sense 8, but I've seen a lot of marketing oh, I need materials to watch Sense8. for Sense 8. Oh yeah. But yeah, so there's not a lot going on in that plot line. Um no. but again, I think the whole process of them discovering I am very much a, a sucker for stories about discovery and about like piecing together things and like watching these people kind of piece together their worlds is inherently interesting to me. So yeah. I like that. I like this plot for that. Yeah, same. And I think that uh, no spoilers, but his wife is a, has a little bit more to do with his plot line than just being hot. And um, yeah. so I think that she is going to be a major part of what makes his plot interesting. We just had to endure four exactly. episodes of mostly him to get to her. Yeah. Michelle Forbes, lady boss. I don't think this plot is actually interesting. No, it's not. Um, she, she, but her, her kids and husband are mad she's always working, but she, and and she tells them that she has a much more boring job than she actually does because she's like a CIA person, and then she gets yeah. pulled into lots of meetings. End of plot. Yeah. On the other hand, she's played by Michelle Forbes, and as a Star Trek fan, I am just gonna follow Michelle Forbes because she was Ensign Rowe, and like that's fine. <laughs> And that's okay. I'm okay with that. 
I mean, hey, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, that that plot is is like just a, an exposition plot. And the only reason she has the personality trait of workaholic is because that's what all women in high power jobs have as a trait. Workaholic. You wear pantsuits and you work too hard. Yeah, exactly. You're either a disgraced workaholic or a uh, who now is a workaholic to try and like redeem yourself or you are just a workaholic. Those are the only two types of professional women in television shows. I'm really looking forward to the episode where she goes to her hometown on Christmas and there's this hunky guy <laughs> and he really cares about Christmas. And he works at a Christmas tree factory. Well, I will say though, you mentioned exposition. And I did. That's the worst thing about this show. This show is so bad at writing exposition. Yeah. And it, there's so much of it. And it's not a it's not a complicated show. That's the thing. It's like it it has way more exposition than it actually needs. The show is generally better when people aren't talking. Mm-hmm. When they're just like I allowed the to show, like live in their environment. Yeah, or like hit things mm-hmm. while juicy, meaty punch sounds happen. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because, as you said, some of the later episodes aren't done yet. And I remember you were just watching episode four. Towards the end of episode four, we get these scenes and there's notes in the in the episode to add ADR in because they haven't done the ADR yet. Um, but in some of the scenes, I'm watching it thinking, you don't need that ADR. That mm-hmm. line isn't necessary. Yeah. It's like... Obviously, this is what's happened. Like, we can tell from context what's going on. You don't need to ADR in a line where someone spells out what's going on. Yeah. And I have that. I feel like that's a symptom of this kind of show, like action adventure shows that are trying to be more than just punch, punch, kick, kick, like that there's like a psychological element. They feel like they have to over explain it so that you know that like this isn't just a silly punch, punch show. This is a serious punch, punch show. And that just means that you have like way more details than you need which we don't we don't need them like this show like your actors are good you have really cool settings for you know like 75 percent of your characters like it's an interesting and compelling story that we don't need a lot of information for like i think y'all can relax a little bit like just let the things happen and let people react like people and not like like the little I button on a website to get more information. Like not everyone needs to be an informational kiosk. Like just let them be people and react to things without being like, this is bad because seven years ago I was on the original Treadstone blah, blah, blah. And I know what happened last. Like I do not need this fucking information. You would not say you are not talking like a human being right now. Everyone is an NPC that you go up to to get information about your quest. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a real bummer because like you have actors like Michelle Forbes who are incredible who could do so much more with so much less. Exactly. And just in general, like the show needed a dialogue pass cuz a yeah. lot of it's not very good. Yeah. So uh, actually speaking of that, let's get to the two plot lines that we care the least about. This next one of which I thought I was going to care the most about because this is one of the plot lines that gets brought up like earliest on in the first episode. And I was really excited about it. And then it's like just really letting me down on every level. Yeah. Uh, this is the plot line about the journalist. The world's most perfect who, journalist. Yeah. Who's done nothing wrong. She gets contacted by this defecting North Korean general who is involved in Treadstone or whatever, um, and gets told that there's things going on with this nuclear missile that's just there, and that people are trying to buy launch codes and all this stuff, and she has to go find this guy's daughter 
Well, so um, so the the thing that's important. So earlier we mentioned this missile that the Russians have called Stiletto Six. So this journalist is disgraced workaholic. She's that kind of workaholic in this show's universe. So she is a disgraced workaholic because she once was uh, going after a story about this secret missile, uh, Stiletto Six. But everyone thought that she was like making it up, and she was disgraced and uh, fired, and so now she like drives Uber or something. But sh- she is the one that the North Korean guy wants to get in touch with because, as we find out later, she was totally right, and it's a part of the Treadstone fiasco. And so she gets brought into it because she was a, a hardworking journalist who was perfect and right the whole time, but nobody believed her. Because and also hidden. And also, she knows what it's like to lose her family. Oh my god! She also has that backstory. Yeah, this is another case of like this show being so like ham-fisted about everything. Like everyone has a plot, like a backstory, so that another character can be like, because of your backstory, this is a this is happening to you. And it's like, guys, it could be fine that she's just a disgraced journalist who like. You know, thought she was right all along, and now she has the chance to redeem herself. No, she also has to have a super tragic backstory so she can emotionally connect with two random characters who were like killed within minutes of meeting them. I will say, we watched four episodes of the show, and we're not allowed to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I ask you this question, I can say it as in a way that this has not been confirmed or whatever. Sure. Do you think watching the show that she's going to be a sleeper agent? I don't think so. Um, I think that, well, it's hard because if she is a sleeper agent, it's the most boring version of that story. I hate it when shows try to shoehorn in people when like they're already important to the plot. Like uh, that show Once Upon a Time had this problem where every single character in the show had to be secretly like related to someone else or had to be secretly important for some reason. And it was like, can't this person just be a person? Why do they have to have this like super deep backstory connection that is unnecessary? The person that they are in the present is important enough. I do not need them to be randomly connected via something else. I like that the only reason that she is important to this plot is because she just happened to be the one journalist to figure something out that no one else saw, but didn't get far enough before they like killed the story. That's interesting. The problem is, uh, so I, I, I hope, I will say that my prediction is that I just hope that they don't make her a sleeper agent. So the other thing, the reason that we keep sort of uh, sarcastically calling her the most perfect journalist in the world is because she is this character who like has zero flaws, is a journalist turned Uber driver who then is like super adept at car chases and like... She's so good at car chases. And she's so calm and she's like, she is enlisted by this random North Korean guy to go rescue her his daughter in Paris and she's like okay and then goes finds the girl immediately like helps her escape from somewhere gets in a car chase like crashes the car to save them from getting shot like is perfect at maneuvering in the Paris streets where which are mysteriously like bereft of cars which is never a thing I've seen in Paris and like She's just so competent and calm at every single corner. And it's like, I do not believe this person is a real person. Why is this woman not reacting to the fact that she is in a fucking insane situation? I'm not saying she can't be like good at her, you know, her stuff. I can't, I'm not saying that she can't be effective, but like when people call characters Mary Sue's, this is the character they're talking about because nothing in her backstory. What if there had been a lion? Ah, oh, no. uh, 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 though. What if there had been a lion right after she crashes the car, 
and where she just turns to everyone else and they're like, well, you know, I'm an Uber driver. <laughs> See, that's a line that Burn Notice would say. And this is the other thing about Treadstone. We, I know we're going to get to like our Burn Notice comparisons like a little bit later. But like the thing that struck me the whole time. And again, I like this show. I might actually watch it, uh, especially if it goes to Hulu because I hate having to watch stuff on like its native channel. But like I, I enjoyed this show. However, boy, howdy, it takes itself super fucking seriously uh, and with all its little exposition kiosk characters like Burn Notice at least is having a good time you know like the actors seem like they're having fun the writers seem like they're having fun like it's a little bit looser structure so even in like the serious moments like there people crack jokes because they're human beings and no one can withstand the amount of pressure that people in the Bourne universe seem to have to live up to every single day like there's zero levity there's zero break for tension so, like, it, it, at a certain point, it almost gets sillier than Burn Notice because, th- like, they're trying to keep tension so high at all times and not allowing human beings to just be like, man, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, nobody gets a break. So at a certain point, you can't maintain that level of tension and it just gets kind of, like, ridiculous. Like, the suspension of disbelief is actually worse for this show than, like, a fantasy show for me because at least fantasy shows have, like, breaks for levity where it's like this is kind of crazy right but this show i genuinely don't believe any of these characters are real because they're so hot like high up on the tension whatever all the time and it's like i don't believe you that this is their reaction i don't believe you that no one has made a joke about how like absolutely bananas the situation is like fair enough maybe sad north korean mom is not gonna you know take a break to joke with a dictator or the secret police but like some of these white these white boys why are they not wisecracking? What is the point of having a generic-looking white boy if he's not going to wisecrack? I ask you. I do think there's some wisecracks, like, early on in the pilot, and they're all very bad. So I don't know if I want the show to do that. <laughs> okay, I, I want also, them to hire a good a part writer of that, and then do it. Part of that is also, I think, they're following the tone of the films, and the films are also not very wisecracking. The, the, the films are very serious. Hence why I prefer um, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible is serious, too. People die. It's tense. But also, you got <laughs> average-looking Tom Cruise wisecracking. I'm just saying this is too much to put on a person, and I do not believe that any human being reacts like this in these sorts of situations. I just want, like... Uh, <laughs> It's not actual conflict if everyone is perfect at everything. Like there's at a certain point there's no tension at all even in tense situations because you're like, well these people are like perfect androids who never get rattled by anything unless it's a plot thing, but then they stop being rattled entirely when they need to. Like it's just I want more complicated characters. <laughs> Speaking of, let's talk about Adventures of Beardy McFuckface, the least nuanced character I was of all. Say- <laughs> I was going to say, because you mentioned how the show gets so intense and serious that it stops being believable and starts to be sillier. Nowhere is that more evident than in Beauty McFuckface's plot, where a lot of things happen that are objectively hilarious. <laughs> so break down that, who Beauty McFuckface is. Um, Beauty McFuckface is a guy who works for the CIA and he's trying to get at the truth of what's going on with Treadstone because he thinks that Treadstone should be shut down if it isn't shut down already because it was supposed to have been shut down. So he's trying to investigate. And so he's investigating. He works for Girlboss. Like, he works for Girlboss. He is 
Uh, Arguably, he should be girl boss. Like girl boss should be him. Girl boss has no is she's just an extraneous person. They should have combined these two characters. It would have been way more interesting. Definitely, and Michelle Forbes is doing it. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and but this guy is just doing his investigations, and stuff. Ha- and again, I'm not going to go into specifics, but stuff happens in this plot line that is so silly. So incredibly silly. And the show just plays it as straight as it can. (laughs) And this guy also sucks at his job. (laughs) He is so bad at his job. Like, everyone is perfect except for this guy, who is the dumbest person I have ever seen. (laughs) Like, every choice that he makes is bad. And he's so impatient, and he's like, we have to get this information. But, like, goes about it in a way that, like, gets in the way of him getting the information. Exactly. He's so fucking dumb. And, like, I lose my patience with the show the most anytime he is on the screen. Yeah, agree. He is uh, also the, like, best example of the only note I took while watching this show, which was ham-fisted setups. So this show is particularly unsettled about, like, setting up something that's about to happen. So, like, every other scene, somebody will say, like hey, get away from that door, you're too close. And then, like, within 10 seconds, the door will burst open and, like, hurt the person who was too close to the door. Like, they they, they do this super unsubtle setup thing where if something bad's about to happen, somebody will say, something bad's about to happen, and then it will happen immediately and exactly the way that they said it, to the extent that, like, nothing is surprising or exciting. Like, you don't get to be surprised by a moment. Like, you don't get to be pulled in or, like, like the characters on screen are, like, a bad guy is about to jump through a window and then <laughs> and then 2 seconds later a bad guy jumps through the window and it's just so jarring and you could be sure if it wasn't originally in the script they are ADRing it in <laughs> exactly it's just like they 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 are over explaining it to the point where they're like they're spoiling their own like exciting moments by just hey by the way get away from that man get away from that door like hey don't tell me i'll be fired like all of this bullshit and it's like why are we doing this cuz i think they think that it's like like a sort of dramatic irony you know i think they think that they're doing something clever where it's like oh man wouldn't it be crazy if this happened and then the thing happens but it happens every single time every setup is immediately followed by the thing that it's setting up and it's just it's again it's a real shame they're over explaining a show that could be really cool if they just like chilled the fuck out a little i'm wondering if part of it is that we see each of these plot lines because there's so many we see them so sparingly that they feel the need to have to remind people of things. This show, plot, plotting-wise, really reminds me of, like, Game of Thrones, where it's this completely serialized plotting where you'll ch- check in with a character, like, a couple of times an episode, and then, like, we'll see all of these four or five characters once or twice an episode, and they get, like, two beats in their plot arc, and that's, like, it. Maybe four if they're lucky. I mean, but um, I don't even think what I'm talking about is, like, a plotting problem. It's Because it's never expositional in the sense of, like, remember, I am the director of the 
you know, CIA. Like, it's not things like that. It's it's literally like so there is a moment where uh, Bearding McFuckface is in a hospital bed. And this isn't a spoiler because I'm not being specific. So he's 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 in he's not in a hospital bed. He's visiting someone in the hospital who is theoretically dangerous. And another guy he's with is also there. The guy in the hospital bed starts freaking out. The other guy gets closer to try and calm him down. And Bearding McFuckface says, you shouldn't get so close to him. And then within five seconds, the man on the hospital bed has like curb stomped the dude who was too close to him. And that kind of shit happens constantly where it's not expositional. It it's, it's just a character dif- diffusing all possible tension and excitement out of a moment by telling us what the moment's going to be right beforehand. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of... Like, they get nervous that we're not going to keep watching, so they pay off every setup immediately. But then that actually makes it less exciting after a period of time. It does. But yeah, but I think also it's a thing of, like, kind of want to, like, transition into Burn Notice now. Great. About how in Burn Notice you can set something up and then pay it off a few scenes later because you have the room to do that because this story is beginning and ending in this episode. Whereas, like... Next to nothing is beginning and ending in any of these episodes. And I miss that. I think one of the things that we've lost in this modern age of, like, hyper-serialized, novelesque storytelling is the idea of episodes as, like, pieces of art unto themselves. Um, And, like, I mentioned Game of Thrones, where, like, this was a show that was sometimes guilty of this a lot, where you would have a bunch of scenes that would move plot lines further, but it wouldn't feel like it was adding up to anything. And I had a problem with this show a lot where, A, I felt like episodes felt longer than they were. Yeah, they felt super long. And they feel so long because there's no sense that, like, there's no sense of, like, rising action and, like, climax or anything because each character is in their own independent little world and nothing's really interacting. And so there's no sense that, like, we're seeing a story being told. We're just, like, getting different story bits. And so... I will say North Korean sad mom plot is the only one that I think defies that because she has, because of her environment, a lot more, like, inherent tensions that are somewhat outside of the, like, you know, sleeper agent thing. And it it always feels like something is happening in her world. Yeah, I do think... In every episode that we've seen, she has, like, if not necessarily a mission, like, a goal or a thing that she's trying to achieve or trying to figure out that she gets some sort of closure on at the end of the episode. But she's, like, the only one. Exactly. Everyone else, it's just sort of piecemeal, piecemeal, like, little bits of story, and there's no there's no sense that like we're getting like setups and payoffs and so like the episodes tend to drag i never have the problem that i sometimes have with burn notice where i'm like oh it's over already Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, which i think really speaks to the difference between these two shows and like the way that tv has changed now because it's interesting to be watching this show a spy show on the usa network while on uh, while we talk about burn notice another spy show on the usa network that's and they're both similarly about spies kind of abandoned and out of their element and mm-hmm. even being given missions outside of like their work in, and outside of their work in the CIA. And in a way they're incredibly similar, but just the execution is so incredibly different. And I think it really points to like 
the strengths and weaknesses of how we tell stories now versus how we used to tell stories. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It is sort of telling that the sort of shows that USA used to like make their name on the bread and butter like that's not what they want to do anymore mm-hmm. well because it's and not so, prestige like, it's not a prestige thing everything is trying to be a new prestige drama prestige genre because like hbo made it up it made it possible to make a prestige genre show and now everyone's like oh shit we don't just have to do like straight up and down like anti-hero white men we can do prestige drama with anti-hero white men with like fantasy and action adventure Hell yeah. Give us the Emmys. I mean, it's also a little bit Mr. Robot's fault because... That's true. USA had Mr. Robot and they're like, oh, no, we can, like, get critic attention now. So forget everything that we used to do. That was a USA show? Yes. Treadstone is happening on USA because of Mr. Robot. Interesting. But, you know, but I think what's interesting is to take this show that is a spy show that is very much not a procedural and look at it, like, in contrast to Burn Notice that very much is a procedural and, like... The things that, the reasons that, like, you might enjoy this show, Treadstone, aren't really the same reasons that you would enjoy Burn Notice, even though they're both, like, about the same thing, sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it like, is interesting. Um, what do you think that, like, fr- from your own, like, TV watching preferences, what do you wish Treadstone had more of from Burn Notice? And, like, vis-a-vis, what, what do you think Burn Notice could have learned from a Treadstone-style show? Like, what do you what do you think they could do as, like, a combined show to make the perfect spy television show on the USA Network? I mean, it's tough because, again, the goals are so, like, at odds with each other. Like, the things that are interesting about Treadstone, Burn Notice couldn't do. Like, Treadstone wants to be a show about all these different people, and if it wants to keep being about all these different people... Like, it has to plot this way. Like, it has to, like, give everyone a little bit, or, like, maybe 70s boys, and in this this week's episode or something, has to do this kind of Game of Thrones plotting in order to be about all of these different characters. Whereas a show like Burn Notice has, we have to have these same people every week, and we can tell more stories about them, but it's going to be just these people. I do do agree with you that I miss the levity. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be... You know, Beardy McFuckface doesn't need to, like, have, like, secret sex contracts with tons of women who, like, are obsessed with him. You know, like, it it doesn't have to be that kind of, like, hamminess. Like, I don't think that Treadstone needs to be hammy. You know, I don't think that it needs to, like, you know, be, like, kind of wink-wink campy style jokes like Burn Notice does. Because that would be super off-tone. But, like, it just feels unbelievable to me that all of these people in these insane high-stress situations that they were not expecting to be in, no one at any point has been, like... Man, what the fuck is happening? But I think also, I think shows like this that are highly serialized become about plot in the way that procedurals aren't. Sure. Because the draw of watching this show is what's going to happen next. And I will say, I I like the plot of the show. I find it to be an interesting plot. And I think they definitely plot more consistently than Burn Notice. They over-explain it to the point where I definitely know what's happening. But, like, I do think that it's a compelling idea. And, like, the the concept of it has me hooked. No, yeah. Um, But the thing is, the plot of Burn Notice never matters. Sure. Um, And it doesn't need to matter like because you're just in it to like watch these people do these things like procedurals are procedurals because we're watching characters go through procedures and 
there's the sort of repetitive nature of it, like makes you care about the characters and that what like we care about them because we see them every week and we see them doing these same things over and over again and it's comforting and that's where the draw of it comes from. Treadstone is never going to be comforting in sure. a way that like burn notice might be. Not to me necessarily, but to you certainly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, really quickly, I just discovered a unexpected connection between burn notice and treadstone that isn't related to them both being on the USA television network and being about spies and being, you know, left out in the cold. Well, what is it, Brie Castellini? <laughs> so you remember uh, Brian Smith, our uh, big nose, uh-huh. basic white boy that I love? Um, uh-huh. You will remember He's, him from the plot His nose line. is so big and you love him so much. I love him so much. You may remember him from the plot line, Alaska boy doesn't deserve his hot wife. He, the first uh-huh. credit on his IMDb page is this show uh, or this movie called Hate Crime. And the first billed person on the Hate Crime movie poster is none other than Seth Peterson, a.k.a. Nate Weston. So the first thing... Oh, no. Yeah, so the first thing that Brian Smith was ever in was a movie with Seth Peterson, a.k.a. the the Burn Notice brother. A movie called Hate Crime. It's called Hate Crime. Let me see if I can find a description. I'm sure I can. I am on IMDb, after all. It's a movie from 2005. Oh, Okay. Oh, Jesus. Robbie Levinson and Trey McCoy suddenly encounter intolerance and hostility at the hands of their new neighbor, Chris Boyd, the son of a fundamentalist preacher. One evening, Trey sets out on his nightly walk with their dog and never returns. Immediately, fingers are pointed and Chris and Robbie become the prime suspects. Uh, With no support from the authorities, Robbie receives help from some unlikely sources to execute a desperate and dangerous plan that uncovers secrets that will turn many lives upside down and ultimately bring the perpetrator to justice, regardless of the consequences. What are the odds that this movie is in itself a hate crime? (laughs) Very high. Extremely high. Hang on. Trey McCoy. I think, yeah. So Trey goes missing. That's, That's Brian. That's our Alaska boy is the one who goes missing. Do these... And is this all the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> he went missing. Hate crime is the and he got treadstone. Is the prequel to treadstone? USA yeah. has been playing a long game. <laughs> I mean, game uh, recognized game. Anyways, I just thought like that was just such a because I was just looking on Brian J Smith's uh, IMDb page just to like see what else he'd been in because I know I recognize him from something and then I happen to like to memorize it so you can go watch all of the things that he's been in (laughs) I've already seen a lot of them him and his big nose and generic face (laughs) but it's angular in all the most pleasant of ways it's a small world after all indeed it is does Disney own USA Uh, it probably does let me check owned by NBC Universal which is a subsidiary of Comcast does Disney own Comcast Oh, no, I don't think so. But yeah, no, I think the thing that Treadstone was, I was missing from Treadstone was the levity, but mm-hmm. also the sense that w- when I get to the end of an episode, I've been told a story. Yeah. Um, I miss that. I think that's a thing that episodic television had that I kind of missed the most. Cause like, there's lots of ways to get into like characters and there's lots of ways to like, feel comfortable with a show or whatever. But I like, I really miss the sense that like when we got to the end of the episode, we felt like we got to the end of the episode. Um, and like burn notice is going to have that just by its very structure. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a thing about TV in general these days is that because of streaming and the way in which people consume media is so different. 
people have started doing these like, you know, 10 hour movies that are technically television shows. And it's kind of a shame because I think what makes television special is that we get like, you know, uh, an end to something more frequently than in a movie. And like, that doesn't mean that we can't tell sprawling, interesting plots that take, you know, take place over the course of a season. But like, yeah, I agree with you. I do miss having something being finished. And I think that's why I like the procedural structure so much, not just a burn notice, but of all procedurals. I love procedurals because I like feeling like something is settled. Yeah. And I think there's a way to do that. And I think even shows like this can do that where just by structuring the episodes in such a way that it feels like there's a climax or like by having different plot threads being thematically linked. And so, um, each episode feels like it's telling a story about something, even if these different plot lines aren't intersecting or all climaxing at the same time or whatever. Um, I think there's a way to do that. Um, but this show hasn't really been doing that. I think it's to its detriment. I do think one thing that's sort of interesting talking about like TV now and the way that episodes are structured is that like that sense of like, making things one long movie is definitely true in drama, but less true in comedy. That's fair. That's a good point. You'll get shows like even like, like Bojack Horseman or something. Every episode feels like its own thing. Even if there is an ongoing like story um, where we're following multiple things, like comedy is still really good at like, when you get to the end of the episode, it felt like an ending, an ending. Cause like, I think oftentimes it's really smart to plot um, your ongoing uh, ongoing story so that each episode is about an event or about like a certain thing or about a certain moment in a character's character arc. You know what it probably is, the difference between comedy and drama, is that comedy has to end on a punchline. Like in, in order to get out of a comedic situation, there has to be a punchline. And so inherently, it wouldn't make sense for a comedy to end an episode without something feeling final because of the nature of how comedy works. Exactly. And I think the show Treadstone is particularly not great at like knowing how to pick its endings. Yeah, well, especially when you have, like, eight different feel... plot lines, all of those could potentially be the ending of the episode. How do you choose? But they always seem to choose wrong. <laughs> I will say, every episode, other than maybe the pilot, I'll be watching the show thinking, oh, that was the end. <laughs> and then we'll get one or two more scenes from other plot lines. And then they'll be like, oh, no, these endings weren't as strong. Uh, episode four, in particular, which you just watched, you just had this happen to you. Episode four just kind of stops. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. I was like, Game of Thrones was always good about this, even as it went off the rails. Was it was really good about picking the scene that feels like the end, that feels like the climax, and ending on that image. Uh, Whereas this show is less good about that. I think that's and that is a thing that is more important in shows like this that aren't serialized. What I think is interesting about this show is that obviously this show is technically much better than Burn Notice. Sure. A burn notice. There's no D in. Yeah, the filmmaking the is like uh, is objectively more competent. I mean, obviously, a lot of time has passed, but even just, I think at the time, burn notice looked just okay. Like, <laughs> but just there is all this kind of newfangled serialization and modern plotting and what have you. I don't think it's a better show than Burn Notice. I don't think so. Either. I think, I think they're like comparable quality. Um, it's just our standards. Um, and our ideas of what 
kind of middle brow entertainment looks like in 2019 have changed so drastically. Um, especially on USA, who's trying to rebrand and look like Prestige. It's it's interesting how like what used to be Prestige is now really easily accomplished by people who aren't good at it. Like what used to be Prestige uh, and and like Show me the logic there. Like, what I mean is that this kind of plotting, this serialized plotting, used to be the province of HBO and, like, maybe, like, um, FX or something. I don't know, like, these really... And, like, Breaking Bad or whatever. And, like, all these kinds of, like, the golden age of TV shows were plotted in this kind of way. And, but now uh, everyone's doing it because everyone wants the sheen of prestige. And I think we as an audience has sort of been trained to assume that serialized equals prestige. Sure. Like exactly. Like you were talking about how like this is supposed to be a prestige show. I don't know if it actually is, but it wants to be perceived that way. Cause it's like, well, we're doing the things that prestige TV does. Right. Like they're, they're, um, they're, they're using the most shallow definition of what, like they, they, they took notes on like, all right. So prestige dramas have uh, angry people, white people, uh, like yes. dr- dramatic angry white li- people, a- angry white people, dramatic lighting. Like they took notes on like all the elements that make a good show uh, or like a, pre- a prestige show, but then they didn't have the like storytelling ability to really back that up. It is also interesting that I saw someone argue, I forget who, um, that because you mentioned how, um, like prestige shows making fantasy seem serious that a lot of what HBO does is actually take um, genres that were disreputable and make them prestigious. So mm-hmm. like the Sopranos was just a gangster show, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Never Sopranos was like a gangster. Yeah. But it's like, it's about gangsters. The wires just about, it's just a cop show. And like uh, game of Thrones is just like a fantasy show, but just turning those kinds of genre shows into prestige television just through really smart writing and, like, making all of these choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and shooting and it, so it like you shoot any other prestige show. Exactly. And it, so it's interesting to see those techniques, like, filter back down into the shows and into the genre shows that, like, the HBO shows were trying to rise above. Like, like now, middle-brow spy shows look like what nice spy shows maybe used to look like yeah it, it kind of reminds me in tonally of like the walking dead that like takes itself so seriously that none of the characters feel like real humans anymore and it's like you have such a cool plot and you have such a cool environment and you have like genuinely good performers and a budget to pull something off but none of your characters feel like people and that's a real bummer because you know it's usa network tell characters welcome but they're not yeah, exactly. I kind of want to end this episode on seeing if these four episodes of Treadstone were great episodes of Burn Notice. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> we'll have to adapt them slightly. I was going to say, I don't know. I don't think any of these episodes used Fee very well. <laughs> and I think that's a problem. So to end this episode, we are going to see if the four episodes of Treadstone that we got to watch, thank you again to NBC Universal for giving us early access. We are going to determine if Treadstone is also a great episode of Burn Notice. 
So we have adapted the criteria slightly. Uh, the first criteria that it has to fulfill, if it's going to be a great episode of Burn Notice, is that the cicadas, the sleeper agents, solve their weekly problem or their you know plot problem with spycraft rather than violence. On balance, no, I think. No, no. This is a very violent show by design. Mm-hmm. Like, if we were doing a podcast about Treadstone and we were trying to decide what makes a good episode of Treadstone, I would say there has to be at least two fights in an episode. Yeah, that's fair. Because this is very much, this is a show about violence. Yeah, because like for a show about like spies and secrets, no one, like the only person that's really doing any spy secret stuff is North Korean sad mom. All the actions that both of the boys take to like figure out what's happening to them and like go about their business is just to be ultra violent. Whereas the North Korean sad mom has to be like sneaky. And even the way in which she was woken up is the most interesting of the three. Exactly. I I think that's part of the reason why she's my favorite part of the show. Mm Mm-hmm is that we get to do those other kinds of things. Yeah. And it's not just fighting. Although she does get to fight, and it is very good. Yeah, she's great. And the other thing that I appreciated about her fight scenes is that because she's physically smaller than most of the people that she's fighting, it still feels accurate. Like, she doesn't feel like she's being, you know, she's overpowering them. A lot of her fighting is, like, well-timed things and good, like, motion. Like, she uses their strength against them in a way that, like, the male fight scenes don't. Like, I feel like they they were pretty thoughtful in the way that they choreographed her fight scenes to make it be like, listen, even if they're evenly matched, she is objectively smaller in stature than this other person. So the way that she gets the upper hand in this fight can't just be punch, 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 you know? And I, and I exactly. thought that they did a good job with that. But that's not enough to make this a great episode. No, of uh, out of the three cicadas, only one does spycraft over violence. So nope. No. Uh, so the second thing that uh, it has to uphold is that we feel like we took away something practical about being spies through the course of the hundreds of hours of exposition that we got from the show. Chris, do you feel like you've uh, yeah. learned anything practical about being a spy? No, not really. Mm-mm. Do any of our cicadas debut or revisit a distinct alias? Do any of them have to pretend to be someone else to accomplish one of their goals? I mean, arguably, the whole thing is that their whole lives, they were pretending to be someone else. That's true. But no. But yeah, but they didn't. But no. That, they didn't have to put any work into it. And what I love about Michael Weston's aliases is how much character development he puts into them. Arguably, more character development than most of the characters in Treadstone. <laughs> All right. So finally, so we've already established that these episodes of Treadstone are not great episodes of Burn Notice. However, our final criteria is that the show's sidekicks, who we have established as anyone who is not a cicada or is not currently outed as a cicada, as a sidekick, are used well. So let's go through them. Is Hot Wife used well? I would argue yes, because she kind of, she's yes. a sleeper agent in the plot in the sense that, like, she sneaks up on you in her importance. I don't want to say too much because, like, I don't want to get in trouble with these people because <laughs> I think you're not supposed to think that she's interesting. Boy Alaska's Hot Wife has more depth than she, like, you would think, given that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Forbes, was she used well? No. No, they're wasting Michelle Forbes. They it's really a shame are. because she's Michelle Forbes. Yeah. She could be doing so many cool things other than just being the classic workaholic. We didn't talk about nine-fingered Russian lady oh, at all. Yeah, no, we didn't. But she's also pretty good. Yeah, she's pretty good. She's interesting. Yeah. She's complicated. I'm excited to learn more about her. Uh, perfect journalist. Fuck her. She sucks. She could be awesome. She has a cool leather jacket and cool hair and a cool, like, 
professional backstory that links her to this plot, uh-huh. but they do nothing with her. She was on an episode of Doctor Who. Mm. Arguably, actually, they do too much with her. And I feel like she does. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, just like the exposition, they overdo it with her. Just let her be an out-of-her-depth journalist who's having to figure this out on her own. It's this thing where it feels like with her that she's anchoring her own story, so, like, someone has to be very competent. Right. But you can be competent line. in more than one way. The competence exactly. isn't just, you can't punch in car chase. Yeah, but this show thinks that that's the only way. It's so, like... <sighs> They're having to make her be that person instead of being, like, kind of scared or, like, you know, just some other kind of, you know. You you know what I've been thinking? The entire time I'm watching her plot line, all I can think of is The Spy Who Dumped Me. The Spy Who Dumped Me is fucking hilarious. It's a great movie. But what I also really enjoyed about it is that, like, the conceit of that is that two people who are not spies end up accidentally being spies for a little bit and, like, getting caught in the crossfire of someone else's spy drama. And they were both competent, but in a way that made it clear that they are not professionals. Like, you can be professionally incompetent and still competent people. Like, they still achieve Exactly. spy stuff while still being real normal humans who have never done spy stuff before and like the fact that they were remarking on like oh my god like we just killed a dude like all of this sort of stuff is like it feels like two actual people who got put into this like is it heightened of course is it a little bit unbelievable that two like totally untrained women have become spies sure but like it still felt grounded in that like they felt like real people who were reacting to the insanity around them as best they could and perfect journalist just does not feel like that no yeah, so so that doesn't do it. And also, Adventures of Bearded McFuckface. Bearded McFuckface sucks. He's not used well. Screw that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, generally, I don't care about anyone who isn't a cicada. Yeah. Do you think you'll keep watching the show? I don't know. Uh, it depends on how easy it is for me to access. If it goes to Hulu, will you watch it? I might. Yeah, sure, why not? And you should, too, listener. Yes, the first episode premieres tomorrow night on uh, the USA Network. Ten. P- they didn't tell me uh, time zone, but they just said 10 p.m. on October 15th, which, uh, as you remember, is also Chris's birthday. You're turning mm-hmm. 31. 31. You're so fucking old. That sucks for you. I know. It's <laughs> terrible. All right. So we've agreed that this is not, not a, a great, great episode, episode of Burn Notice. Notice. But was it a good episode um, of Born Noticed? I think it was all right. Well, is this a great, is this a great episode of television? What no, were you saying? Uh, no, it's closer than some of Burn Notice gets, but I don't think it is because I think that the characters are too underdeveloped and the exposition is too overstocked. Uh huh. Agreed. On a technical level, this is a very good show. But it's less than the sum of its parts. Yes, agreed. But it could get there. We've only seen like the first four episodes. It could get there. Thanks again, USA, for giving it to us. <laughs> Yeah, no, for real, though. Like, thank you, USA. I don't know why you chose us to do this. The fact that the USA, someone at the USA Network is like, oh, two people are doing a Burn Notice podcast. They should definitely get early access to Treadstone. Like, that's kind of cool. Thanks for that. Yeah. Please get in touch if you can put us in contact with Jeffrey Donovan. <laughs> you are our best chance. As always. Uh, no, I'm, spe- I'm talking specifically to the USA Network executives who are definitely still listening to this podcast. God. Um, yeah, watch Treadstone. Uh, we will be back 
in the next couple of weeks with maybe one more bonus episode for you before we get started on Burn Notice Season 2. So if you have any bonus episode ideas that are kind of in line with what we did tonight or, um, you know, something more goofy and silly, let us know. Yeah, if you have early access to another television show, <laughs> we will talk about it. We definitely will. Uh, you can reach us at, on Twitter at Burn Notice Pod, Burn Noticed with a D, uh, or you can email us at Burn Noticed Podcast at gmail.com. Consider this born noticed? No. <laughs> no, that's what I'm ending it on. You shouldn't have given me that clip. Before we go, I want to tell you guys about Road Trippy. Road Trippy is a novel that I co-wrote with comics artist Ray Friesen and writer-director Joe Heath, who you might know from the Watchathon of Rassilon podcast and no other podcasts of any kind. It's a really fun book about this mismatched couple who get swept up in this supernatural adventure full of body-swapping, inept policemen, and one very angry zebra. It's perfect for fans of stuff like Good Omens and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's available for pre-order through our Kickstarter up until the 21st, I think. And that's the only way that you can get a print edition of this book. So if you really want a print edition of this book, and I think you do, you should go to my Twitter for links to pre-order the book through the Kickstarter. It's a really good book. I'm really proud of it. And I really want people to read it. So if you could check it out, we would be forever grateful. Thank you. Thank you.